Snowball Podcast. I'm Rick Dixon, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Ethan Huffman. Now, Ethan, your team did make a trade. In, I'm talking about NFL here now. Your team did not trade away their franchise quarterback. How are you feeling today? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm fine. The NFL is um, falling less and less in favor with me and my desire to spectate it. The other day, I had the opportunity to watch the Packers game with um, you know my friends. And because two of my friends are Packers fans, I said, I pass. I will stay in my room and do nothing. And it worked out wonderfully because when I met my Packer fr- friend, uh, Packer fan friends later, oh, they were not happy. And I realized I made the right decision. Yeah, pro- pro- probably wise on your end. I, you know, what's tough. It's what's tough is that now every single. I mean, you could have argued that the Lions have been in a fifty-year rebuild, as it as it were, or already. Um, but uh, now everyone is beginning. A complete teardown, right? At least when he had Stafford before, um, you know, he was like, hey, he, he's our quarterback. It was great. Uh, now it's, it's the Jared Goff show, and uh, I guess it will be what it is. But because the Lions were, su- were able to get such a haul, we're going we're gonna to make some Lions-inspired trade requests um, that, will, that will make me as a Piston fan feel better. So just that's coming later on. In, in the show, and you, you'll, listeners, you'll, you'll recognize it when it comes. But we're not here to talk about football. We are here to talk about basketball. And in particular, today, we are going to be talking about uh, a two teams, the Lakers and Sixers, who faced off this past week and both lost to the Pistons within the last week, which, you know, shout out Detroit. Um, have, have to keep getting those, those uh, you know, fire that off in there. But we're going to talk about the Lakers and Sixers. They played each other. Um, on Wednesday, and it was it was a spectacular game. We're gonna talk about these two teams going forward, and we'll kind of use the, um, you know, that that game as um a talking point as we as we watched it, took notes, and we got some takes, Ethan, don't we? I mean, we got some takes. We'll see how correct they are come in the season. We picked this game because it was kind of like a, a little bit of an NBA Finals preview, quote-unquote, because at the time, these teams were both first in their respective conferences. And when you look at the top-end talent on these teams, a lot is to be loved. Like, there's these starting lineups, you know, are attractive ones, that, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, sure. Uh, I mean, they, 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 ha- they have high-level talent, as you're saying. I mean, they have probably, I would say, two out of the three, top three, MVP candidates this year. Like Embiid is is right up there. LeBron James is probably up there, and I mean, depending on what you think with the third, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a Jokic with how involved he's been. Um, I mean, Giannis again is probably not going to get it, and I, we kind of said at the beginning he probably wasn't going to be involved unless uh, he took another statistical leap, which doesn't look quite like that's happening. Got to hit a free throw to make that happen, uh, and so. It's interesting, right? Lakers started the game out. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, KCP, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and um, we had Mark Gasol, right? That, that, those are the starters there. Sixers, Seth Curry, Danny Green, uh, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. Now, uh, as as the game began, Ethan, what were, what were you thinking about? What were you looking for? in the matchup with, with these starters? Well, 
I was curious to see how aggressive Ben Simmons could be with the you know rim protectors, like you know with Gasol being just so large, and then Anthony Davis obviously being a super mobile and incredibly large. I was curious to see how aggressive Simmons would be because he's a guy who so far in his NBA career has avoided contact going to the rim, which I think is why his finishing ability is worse than you would you would think based off you know his how often he drives. Ben Simmons started off this game really well. LeBron was guarding him for a lot of it. He was getting some back cuts. He was grabbing boards or getting the outlet and pushing super hard in transition. And it was honestly a layup line for like the first three minutes of the game for Ben Simmons. That was really interesting to me because I wasn't expecting that with a team with Anthony Davis and Marcus Saul at the back line. Well, yeah, I, I think that part of it is like you mentioned in transition. If you're able to do that, then you don't have that you don't have that protection there. Um, you know, in, in place and set up. And I mean, it wasn't just Simmons, you know, getting, getting back cuts and uh, things like on the other end as well, especially early on with the early on matchup of, and here, this is the thing that I was really curious about. I was curious about what were the defensive matchups going to be? Um, and to start out with, Embiid was on Gasol, which was, and Gasol then on Embiid, right? They kind of, kind of they did that for a little while, although it ended up switching uh, partway through the first but when Embiid was on Gasol, that was tough. That was kind of a, I think, a tough thing for the Sixers because it brought Embiid way away from the basket. And then you saw LeBron James back cuts. Like, it, it was just back cut after back cut. And Gasol was making those passes, and the rim was wide open. And I think that after a while, it ended up forcing the Sixers to change it up and say, all right, well, we're going to have Embiid be on Anthony Davis. And we're going to have Tobias Harris guard um, uh, Marcus Gasol. And when that happened, the really Marcus Gasol out on the perimeter kind of became a little bit useless. And they tried to go and put him down low. And they even ran some posts up for him that really didn't work out quite as well. Because you know, Tobias Harris is not a small guy. He's not huge. But it, it didn't really work out quite in the way that I think they were hoping for. And Anthony Davis, while he made some tough shots... Uh, throughout the game over Joel Embiid when that matchup uh, when when they were matched up for most of the rest of the game it it, it, it I don't think you Anthony Davis really took advantage of Embiid the way that uh, ha- having Embiid pulled all the way out on Gasol definitely did I think Gasol once that once Embiid moved off of Gasol Gasol's use really I didn't really see the point um, for him out there because if you're not if you're Gonna run post ups for Marcus Saul. That's, I mean, if you're the 76ers, great because that means LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't doing things, right? And you kind of almost have to put him in the Dwight Howard uh, or in JaVale McGee role of standing in, in the uh, in the dunker spot and, you know, trying to be there to tap back rebounds and to, uh, you know, just to be a dump off uh, location. But then you're kind of gumming things up and, and you're taking away Gasol's perimeter shooting as a as a strength. So that was an interesting thing early on for me to see those uh, defensive matchups on the Sixers' perspective and the the way that they quickly switched out of it. Yeah, and as soon as the Sixers made that switch, like we talked about, Gasol is not a super willing shooter. He does shoot and he shoots pretty well, but like, his, his lack of willingness to like really just fire away and be a bomber when they, they put the, the type of matchups on him is, is what doesn't enable him to in, in, to hold his value 
when they put a lesser defender on him, like a guy like Tobias Harris, who is still going to help off Marcus Gasol quite a bit. But having Joel drawn out to the paint, that's the greatest value. The gravity that he pulls is having him, Joel, be two steps away from help instead of being one step away from help is, is huge when you're talking about LeBron James cutting off of those kinds of passes and also, you know, KCP and, and uh, Schroeder being able to run around as well. All these are things we've said already, but like it's just it's 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 incredible how bad of a matchup Joel Embiid is guarding Mark Gasol because of not necessarily that matchup itself, but the, all the mismatches that everyone else had a disadvantage without Joel at their back. Yeah, I mean you're you're playing, you're getting every advantage out of Mark Gasol in, in his usage versus Joel Embiid. You're taking all that away, having him guard out on the perimeter, and I mean Tobias Harris was having to guard Anthony Davis out in the in the corner. And, and especially if Joel, if Marcus Hall is operating at the very top of the key, it's a little bit nebulous where help is supposed to come from. Uh, because, you know, you're... It, especially because everyone in that starting lineup can shoot a three, is a threat from three, then that that, that makes that made it difficult, um, at, at least initially there. Um, okay, so that, those, that was what we were looking for initially. You were looking Ben Simmons... I, I, it's kind of interesting how both of our questions are coming from kind of the Sixers perspective. And I, I, I think that it's probably that way because the Lakers are the defending champions. Like they've won, they've proven the things that they need to. And so there's less questions, although we will have some Lakers questions going forward. What was maybe one Lakers question that you had either going into the game or throughout the game? What was something that you were, I don't know. Well, well, a lineup of terribleness that the Lakers keep putting out there is the LeBron James, um, Kyle Kuzma, Montrose Harrell, Markeith Morris, and Wesley Matthews lineup. That that lineup gets run in every game, and it's really bad. And the reason it's bad, Richard, is because the, like I think the theory behind it is this is a switching lineup. But while that's true, everyone's very similarly sized. You're looking at Harrell, who's a bad defender. Morris, who's below like below average, at least regular season. I've always thought he kind of picks his game up later. And LeBron James, who's not going to be, you know, finals level defense. Like this team, that lineup, it hasn't worked so far this year. And I can only say it's because there's no good defenders in this switchy lineup. And so my question is, how are they going to in, in like? I was like wondering what lineup that would show against the Sixers. I believe that was when. Uh, we're kind of Korkmaz got a couple threes off because these guys were not paying attention to the three-point shooter. Well, it kind of went both both ways. That I mean, yeah, the theory is the switching lineup. I mean, Wes Matthews is a, is a good on-ball defender. You end up seeing him uh, late shot clock being able to take one away from Tobias Harris. The, the problem is that with that lineup, again, you do not have, other than Wes Matthews, you don't really have anyone who can... Um, chase any other guard around if you have two guards that uh you know are going to be moving around like that's that's i think it's a tough ask uh and like i would much rather you get one of those bigger guys out of there for a caruso and and that i feel like something like that would just help because caruso is an effort level defender he's not going i mean so what he's undersized um but guess what in a switch I don't think he's going to get totally destroyed. I think he's going to at least be able to hold up until help can come. So I, that would make more sense to me for the Lakers. And 
I think a lot of this goes back to, and, and my one gripe and question with the Lakers has uh, this offseason as well, ha- has always been they needed another wing and they got Montrezl Harrell instead. Um, they they took the money that they had invested in into the, I mean, Danny Green, right? The, uh, last year, obviously the, the foibles in the finals. and But guess what? Guess who would probably really like to have Danny Green? Guess who? Guess who? What team Danny Green would probably help a whole lot? Well, probably a, a number of teams, a lot of teams in the NBA, but especially this Lakers team, right? And they took that investment from the wing. Obviously, KCP is still there, and they, like, the Avery Bradley money, the the KCP money, and they spread it to to each, you know, the point guard and Dennis Schroeder, and they spread it up to Montrezl Harrell. That's where they invest their their finances. And again, just with the team. Like the Lakers with having Anthony Davis and um, uh, yeah, LeBron James, I I don't I don't I just don't see really the need um, where you, in those investments, and so that will probably come up a bit here. And, and if you're gonna do that, then I just need to see a whole lot of more, a whole lot more Alex Caruso. That's really what I need to see. I know he finished the game for them here, but I, I need to see more of him throughout the game. Yeah, I don't really hate the the Schroeder sign as much as no. the 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 Harrell one. But it's like, okay, what's Schroeder's best position? Point guard, right? And who do the Lakers have other than LeBron James, who is not plays point guard offensively? But you know, he guards threes and fours for the most part. So Schroeder still has a spot in potentially a closing lineup because he still plays a position of value that LeBron doesn't play. Um, when you're talking about Montrezl Harrell, what's his best position of value it's the it's at the four and the five which when you're playing lebron james anthony davis in the most important moments they are the four and the five and okay well we just spent the mid-level exception on a guy who doesn't fit into our closing lineup it's it's just it, it was foolish from the beginning i i don't know it's just he's not like to me he's just not a winning player he's a good hustle player he's not a winning player though i was looking at this game i didn't realize that he he, he didn't score any points in this game he was essentially a non-factor uh now part of this is he got into foul trouble but guess why he got into foul trouble he got into foul he trouble can't be- play any defense because he can't play any defense and he's he finds himself either outmatched oversized or out of position and if you're if that's the case you're going to be racking up more fouls than you should, especially against a team like this, when you've got Joel Embiid that you're having to get matched up on. And guess what? You're getting matched up on him, and they're still having to send tons of help. So it, it he was really, really bad, a non-factor. And it's just when they made the trade, when they traded Danny Green away and brought in um, brought in Dennis Schroeder, I said to my, I was thinking to myself and setting group chats and uh, with the Lakers. Friends, I was like, you know what? It's okay as long as I just need to see who they're able to bring in replace on the wing. And they brought in West Matthews. Like, okay, good, great. You just need one more because you lost Avery Bradley and you lost Danny Green. You need one more wing. And at that point, they hadn't brought back KCP, and so I was a little bit I was concerned there because it's like Atlanta has got a bag to drop. And and so then they brought KCP back. Like, okay, good. Um, but it's like, but then you took. You took the money and you invested more heavily into the center position on a guy who's the size of a two guard, <laughs> right? It's like Montrezl Hero's probably like six six at best, and yeah, 
Clay Thompson dwarfs Montrezero. <laughs> like, no, it, you watch it, and it's like, is Matisse Thibel the same height as, as Montrezero? Yes, yes, he is. So, like, th- that's a problem. And, like, I did, yeah, like you mentioned, it's it's fine. Obviously, I don't love giving away Danny Green. I think I thought that that was an overreaction, although there was maybe an argument at the time. Well, is Danny Green injured? Maybe, maybe they understand. They just don't think he's going to be able to come back healthy. If that's the case, okay, cool. Get rid of him. It's fine. Danny Green looks pretty good so far. Um, he had a rough start, but you know, since since the the new year, uh, January one, he's been pretty good. I my concern though is that this team, with the decisions that they made going out to get Montrez Harrell, who can't play in closing lineups, you've now made it more likely that you have to and are forced to play Schroeder in closing lineups. And I'd like to have the flexibility of being able to do that, but also not doing that in certain situations. And and you are limiting yourself if I, I just find that you're 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 putting a cap on your flexibility. And I want Schroeder actually playing more minutes with second unit guys. I find him to be a little bit superfluous with the starters uh, in a number of times, and, and that was the, that's my main question. But go ahead, you got something. Well, I was gonna say we were, we're just you know, we kind of walked down this path, and like for closing lineups, the lineup I like is is KCP, Wes Matthews, um, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and honestly, then you get you kind of got to pick: Do I need size, Marquise Morris? Do I need good guard defense, Alex Caruso? Like, Schroeder doesn't equal into my closing lineup in any situation other than he's so hot. It's just like, all right, are we playing the are we playing the, the Blazers where there's two guards we can kind of – like, he's just going to try hard so he's, it, it doesn't make a difference. Damian Lillard is going to get his in a certain a, a type of way. Sure, he can stay out there. But if there's any guard with size, like, he, he can't be out there because it's just – it's not going to work. Yeah, and so it's like – I'm okay. Like I, I think that he can be fine as far as a defender with those smaller guards. He can chase people around, and you've got Anthony Davis at the rim. That's fine. But there could be the, the perfect mix, like you say. If, if you've got bigger guards, I don't really want to see him out there. And if 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 I didn't trust Alex Caruso that much last year, like the Lakers did to some extent, but really it was the we need Danny Green and his, and his defense, off-ball defense as well. Like, Danny Green in this game messed up a whole lot of stuff that the Lakers were trying to do. Got a lot of tips and deflections and uh, got a couple blocks as well. Like he he made life difficult for them uh, for the majority of the game. And you need that type of player. And I just hope that they found it yet. And we'll talk in a little bit about potential trades that, uh, you know, we, we got to trade for them perhaps later on where they can maybe rectify that decision. But. I don't know. That that my, my issue with them is that their closing lineup doesn't make tons of sense. And if their closing lineup, I would rather not have Shooter. If if I don't want to have Shooter out there, then I need him to get more minutes against lower level talent. Like that's where I need the Montrez Harold Dennis Shooter pairing. And I didn't see that as much. Uh, I didn't see that as much as I wanted to. And I saw I saw Shooter. And the starting lineup doing things out there that I thought Alex Caruso could have done, because they really didn't take advantage of Shooter's strengths in the lineups where you have him alongside Anthony Davis, Marc Gasol, and LeBron James. What what is Dennis Shooter supposed to do in those lineups? 
he should be in a different lineup. Is 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 my yeah. point? And say so, uh, like the the one thing that we never can quantify, and this is why we won't try to, is the whole um um ego aspect of this game. And where Schroeder knows he's a better player than Alex Caruso, so you have to start him. Like that's the only thing that you can't really we we can't quantify. We if you invest in the bag, it's fine. I, you know, but Schroeder's getting money, but. Take, take him out the six-minute mark and get a guard in there to play with LeBron for the rest of the first quarter. That, you know, that way Schroeder can play in the, like non-LeBron. I, I agree. It's 100%. It's a waste of his talents to not let him cook a little bit when he's on the court. And you're definitely not taking the ball out of LeBron's hands. That'd yeah, be really yeah. stupid. But I also don't mind him with Anthony Davis and LeBron James themselves. But the moment you have Marcus Hall out there, and if Marcus Hall is going to be maximized he's got to be able to have the ball make some passes and and be involved and that just leads to either it just leads to more standing around which alex caruso can do just fine so it that that that's my issue i just think that at least in this game here we didn't see shooter maximized because of uh because of that um now let's Let's talk a little bit about Joel Embiid, because just want to say, that man was real good. Oh, so good. He's been good. Stays good. Yes, he was. He was very good, and and not only has he just been you know playing extremely well. Doesn't didn't matter who was on him. He did. He did. He was doing a pretty good job. Um, either way, like the thing that really impressed me which i think that you're gonna you're not gonna like um is how wise he was with his foul drawing and obviously let's preface it foul drawing is a plague you saw oh, we, it we all few, know it we, we all know it. we saw it a few times uh out there where sometimes so like like Embiid started flopping to draw fouls like log two, like rip throughs and other things like that, and he he once tried to draw a foul on Anthony Davis and ended up drawing a flagrant one because he just took a break, took the elbow to the face. Um, yeah, bonked and, him. And and so like he got himself into a, a little bit of trouble, but the times that he would go out and draw fouls were specific times when the when the 76ers were going to be in the bonus and he was going to be able to get to the free throw line because he's like, hey, I'm closing this quarter. So, like, I'm going to be drawing some fouls now. Or we're already in the bonus. Um, I'm drawing fouls. And, and it ended up working. It was a wonderful thing at the um, – oh, when was it? I think that it was, yeah, end of the second – end of the first half. And so – the Lakers go down and the Lakers are trying to get a two for one. Anthony Davis ends up pulling from three. It's, it's far. He missed it. Right. So, but they pulled, he pulled from three at about like 32 seconds or something, somewhere around there. I don't actually remember. I don't totally remember the exact time, but like, you know, it's right there where we're in two for one range. Well, Saturday Sixers to get the ball. They're going down the floor and there's an immediate foul. Uh, sorry. There's an immediate whistle because Joel Embiid, as he's rim running, Gets tangled up with Marc Gasol, flails, they both fall to the ground, foul on Marc Gasol, and B goes to the free throw line for two. And in, and guess what? The Sixers got the two for one and opportunity. And so it's like he's he's really smart in knowing when he should do those things. And I, I but I wonder if sometimes it gets him into trouble for when he actually, like before they called the flagrant one on LeBron, um, 
I was like, you know, I wonder if the refs are going to like. I didn't know if they were actually going to call the flagrant one uh, at, at the time. Like, I, I wonder if his flopping beforehand makes the refs less likely to give out a flagrant when 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 LeBron definitely deserved it. But uh, yeah, well, it's like we know foul drawings a plague. We, we've talked about it in at length. But like, it's there's a certain like I've, I've said it for a long time now. It's like CJ McCollum needed to put that as part of his game if he ever wanted to elevate. And like, I don't know if it's if he started doing it this year, I know he took start taking a lot more threes this year, but like some of these guys are just such buckets that they don't really think about the foul drawing aspect of the game. Whereas, you know, James Harden said, I know you'll foul me. I will do this all day. And Joel Embiid shot 13 free throws in that game. And like, it's what allowed him to be efficient. Cause he was still eight of 18 from the field. Like, because you know, Anthony Davis and Marcus all are good defenders. They forced him into some difficult looks here and there. And he had five turnovers because like, by the way, he's gotten a lot better at it. Because when the double comes, he faces the double team and actually passes instead of just hiding. That was one of the things in the preseason I said when he, I would like to see him face up a little bit more and go into a post-up move um, off of like a face-up dribble. It's because you can see the, the double team coming when you face up, and he's gotten much better at that. But still, still has some turnover problems. But Joel Embiid, like working his way into the interior of the defense, having the ability to kick out. Like one of the doubles came where he Harrell was guarding him. Davis comes from the free throw line to help and he just palms the ball, turns to the basket and just dumps it directly over Harold's outstretched arms to Simmons, who was cutting for a layup. And it's just so hilarious to me that like, Oh man, like it's just, why was this ever allowed to happen? Why did, why is Montrezl ever given the task <laughs> of, of guarding Joel Embiid? We know that's not going to work. So it just, it, it really cracked me up and gave me a laugh, but no, I think Joel Embiid, like, he, he, he's always been such a fluid athlete at the NBA level. Like, all those years of, like, injury recovery really set him up for a great amount of success coming into the game, and he was very fluid. His mental fluidity in processing the information is also improving. I always think he's known what to do is why he's able to be such a fluid athlete anyway. But now I think his mental fluidity and, like, processing what's happening and knowing, like, oh, if I fake here – uh, Cork Moss is going to be that much more open when I throw the pass out. Like, all that kind of stuff It in this game was, I thought, pretty evident. He see, he, he recorded four assists, too. Like, the, the guy's just got a lot... It's much closer to being a master of the offensive game than he was a couple years ago. Yeah, and I mean, even... There, there's some hockey assists in there as well. Like, one Cork Moss, three... I mean, Embiid was posting up at, at like, the logo, and uh, double team came, and he was able to kick it out, rotate one, one pass as Marquise Morris, you know, sucking it, sucking it to help as well. Open cork minus three. And, and so he's, he's been playing extremely well. Um, I, I do worry a little bit. Is the flopping going to, is he actually going to injured on a flop at, at some point this year? Maybe he, I, I think Joel Embiid for the reason I was I have not gotten hurt playing basketball since my knee injury is I saw, I saw Joel Embiid anytime he got off balance he just falls over and that's what I started doing I said I'm not gonna stick the landing with this leg I'll tear my ACL again I'm gonna fall over it makes everyone scared too everyone stops playing for a second then you, you, you if you if you messed up you you get to get back on defense with no no penalties oh goodness well um. Let me get into an issue that I have. Uh, we, we've, we've 
bash the Lakers a little bit for some of their personnel moves and decisions, and rightly so. I mean, we, we, we talked pre-pod, and we've even mentioned it, and I'm mentioning it again. Again, that, that requiring Montrez Harrell defending Joel Embiid a double team, like, that's tough. But, but Rob Palinka has the LeBron James card, and that <laughs> washes away all your mistakes. It 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 yeah that and Anthony Davis can, can again uh, atone for again a part of the of LeBron James card atone <laughs> <laughs> for a multitude of sins. Um, but when when I go to go to and we we've, we've praised Daryl Morey for some of the personnel decisions surrounding uh, you know, that they made bringing in Danny Green, bringing in um, Seth Curry to to space the floor for Embiid and Simmons, except, like their draft picks. Yeah, we like the draft picks as well. But the uh, decision that I am not happy with, uh, and I think really showed its face, and, and I, I wonder and I, I do believe that a good chunk of the reason why Ben Simmons' scoring is down this year, like I, I have to believe that some of it comes from the second unit where we have Dwight Howard out there at center. Like, I don't... If you have Dwight Howard out there, he is now the guy who is in screening actions. And guess where Ben Simmons has to stand? Over in the corner or in the dunker spot, somewhere else where he's not involved. And I want want Ben Simmons involved in those screening actions. I want him setting the screen because guess who – because then Anthony Davis can't just be on the weak side, ready for weak side help, knowing that he can pull as far away from – Ben Simmons as he needs to, to, to protect the rim. Like, let's go ahead and actually get, get him involved in some of those actions that Dwight Howard was, was the one screening for. Like, I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And I would, I would much prefer if they had someone who was more of a spacing guy, someone who could space the floor. Uh, and whether that is maybe, I don't know if it's like, I don't mind having Dwight Howard out there. If like, he's, he's, he provides rim protection. That's what he provides. Cool. But if I'm going to have one of Embiid or Simmons on the floor at all times, which is basically the approach, then Dwight Howard doesn't fit with either one of those guys. So so why do I have that guy out there? I would much rather have a spacing option, and finding that spacing option might be a little bit tough. There, We mentioned pre-pod earlier that like Miami has two spacing centers uh, who are making a, a, a sum of money, right? They... they, they it would be something where you'd have to package a couple salaries to go and get that guy. But I I think that having like a Myers Leonard would make a whole lot more sense because now he can go stand in the corner and provide spacing. And if you leave him, hey, he might knock out a three or Kelly Olynyk, right? So yeah, I, I would appreciate either one of those types of guys. And I know that they weren't available at the uh, – they, they weren't available this offseason, really. Like they were sticking around in Miami – one of them because he was under contract, the other one because you know, Miami offered him $10 million that salary fodder in case a trade needed to be made. Yeah. So I just I hope that before this is all said and done, they have a better spacing center on the roster. The tough part is outside of those Miami guys, it was tough to find it. Like Bielitsa's not coming back in. He spurred them for to go to go to the Sacramento Kings, even though it would be a good fit. Uh, it's Mike Muscala is not good. Trading with trading with Miami is difficult because even though it's not 
the exact same front office because it's it's Daryl Morey. Like the the Heat pulled one over on the the Sixers getting Jimmy Butler in that whole situation. Like it's it's not it's not it's not a great and fertile ground for trading. But like as much as I dislike Kelly Olynyk and I've you know talked at honestly too much length about my distaste for most of the things he does. Like I think Kelly Olynyk is a perfect pairing for a Ben Simmons um in the in the half court because all right you can like legitimately run a dribble handoff either direction with those two dribble handoff with Ben giving it to Kelly if his defenders sloughed off Kelly's got a wide open three or dribbling at an advantage because Ben's defenders deep same concept if, if Kelly does a dribble handoff to Ben, Ben can turn the corner with a head of steam going into the the paint. And Kelly, like, you know, just stays where he's at. And if his defender slides, you got another open three. Like, he would honestly be a perfect pairing for a Ben Simmons in, the, in a world where Ben Simmons isn't on the Sixers someday soon. And Kelly Olenek is a free agent, um, potentially next offseason. So, I just want to bring that up. Like, I, I don't think there's a way that those two teams work out a trade. But... Like it makes a lot of sense in my brain. I just, with the Heat being so being so terrible and Kelly Olynyk being someone that Spolster is going to trust at this point in his career, um, very unlikely. Yeah, I, it, it's and and the Sixers might try to go in a different direction. They they might not see that as an issue because hey, guess what? They're winning. They're top. They're top in the East. Where the goal is to get wins for the Sixers. The goal is not necessarily to get Ben Simmons points total up right so as long as Simmons is happy and as long as you're winning maybe it doesn't matter it's just a preference that I have because I just see that as a wasted opportunity um personally uh so that that's my biggest area that's my biggest issue with the Sixers roster in this team um let's transition to talking about at the end of the game let's talk about the last few minutes here um of the game I mean going into the end and in those closing lineups about the three minute mark the Sixers are up 12 um and three minutes to go and basically from that point like Embiid hits a long you know sells for a long two over Davis right and they began to stagnate Philly's offense and it was for me it seemed like the classic approach of Philly's like we're up by 12 there's three minutes left on the clock we just need the clock to end. We, we need to see zeros. So let's just run clock. And what they found themselves doing was not taking advantage of, of anything, or of any early offense, not utilizing the first half of the shot clock to get Embiid into position. And it just led to a bunch of bad shots down the stretch. They just dribbled the air out of the ball rather than, like, if, if, I'm, if I'm the Sixers, like they were, they would run some actions to get Embiid in the post. If you can spend the first half of your shot clock doing that, guess what? Embiid's going to have the ball in the post, backing someone down. They're going to send a double. That's when you can begin forcing around, causing them to rotate, and you're getting a shot with you know single digits left on the shot clock, and you you're also getting a good possession. That's not what happened. That's not what took place. They basically just dribbled the ball near half court for the first half of the clock. Then by the time they got it to Embiid, there's like five seconds left of the clock and, and we're either getting a shot clock violation. We're pitching it out to have a contested 
three from somebody, or Embiid's trying to throw up some trash. It it was bad basketball, and it just it seemed to be because they were just trying to run the clock down, and it almost it, they almost lost because of it. Uh, I'll just say that if it wasn't for a a a, a nice a, a nice possession at the very end from from uh, and get some good shot making from Tobias Harris, like you almost lose the game because of it. Oh, and and one of the things that I think like kind of threw the game off again is like the the Lakers make that quick little push. Philadelphia calls a timeout. They score two possessions in a row. They scored a Tobias Harris um, jump shot, and then Joel got an and one, and he completed it. And it's like, all right, we're back up by uh, 11, uh, 12 again. We're good. And then they didn't score again until the Tobias Harris uh, game winner. But this is one of those things that you can see with this team is with a guy like Ben Simmons, who it can't do a whole lot for you in the half court when it – especially when you're trying to cut down a possession because what's he going to do unless he has the ball in his hands because he's not spacing the floor – he, at, at that point, cutters are, are hard to find because the pass has got to be such a timing play to get it catch and go up with it if you're trying to run shot clock. And so he's out there just playing good defense, and that's it, you know. And everyone's throwing up bad shots, as you've mentioned. Turnovers were happening. Like, just a bad bad go of it. But thank goodness for Tobias Harris. Thank goodness for Tobias Harris, um, you know, putting up the quietest of 24 points, you know, you've seen in a while. Um, but, like, Simmons, can't we use him as an off-ball screener? Can't we, can't we find a way to, I don't know, make him, just find a way to make it so that you're not the offense and off-ball things are not stagnant because if you're just wasting time and and that like it's just a recipe to see what we end up seeing. And the Lakers, you know, playing playing desperate, coming from behind. Alex Caruso getting some. Some some tip back rebounds. Alex Crusoe with the best plus minus in this game for the Los Angeles Lakers because he came in and they just they they, they went on a, on, a, on a rundown uh, at at the end. Alex Crusoe doing the the aggressive white guy stuff. He missed he missed the jump shot. They got the, they got the rebound. He buries a three. You know, like it's it's one of those things. Where like if you're hustling, the other team's not. It's it's like a huge competitive advantage and. Fortunately, the Sixers, on their behalf, they were able to pull it together before the end of the game. But the Sixers just like, I, I agree with you. Like, there's no reason Ben Simmons can't do like 90% of what Bam Adebayo does in the half court. The reason I say 90 is because Bam now is, is a pretty prolific mid-range jump shooter. It would, it would seem. Um, But if ben, if ben Simmons could just adopt some of that, like Ben Simmons is as big as as Bam is, so there's not like any physical limitations there other than maybe just absolute springs. But yeah, like Bam's always, even when Jimmy's on the court, and I'll compare Jimmy because Jimmy posts up more than Bam does, at least when Jimmy's healthy. Um, I'll compare Jimmy to Joel there. Like you're, Bam's always setting that down screen for for Duncan, setting the high ball screen for Tyler, and like moving just moving around and getting other people open to go do their next part of the offense. And I feel like most time. Like it might be on Doc, it might be on Ben not knowing what to do in the system, but he's just so often the stagnant part of the offense. And there's no reason to be when you're such a fluid athlete and you can be such a good screener and you can be such a good ball handler. Just set a screen, run like, and then go back to the ball to get it. Like, just keep moving. And like, there's so much he can do that I don't, I just don't know if it's him or if it's the the coach is not. Like so, so I I know Doc's like positive like oh I'm not worried about him not being able to shoot like what what's that I mean he's he's such a good basketball player who cares, like 
at some point, you have to get the game plan around him not being able to shoot, and him just sitting in a dunker spot or running ba- like back baseline baseline, sometimes guessing wrong and getting in the way of cutters because they they're doing proper stuff. Um, you gotta find a new plan, and I haven't seen that from Doc yet this season. I mean, this this has been the issue with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid together is the fact that they're really both centers. Um, like that that's really what the really front court guys and on the same team like this is why i i thought partway through especially when i was seeing the dwight howard mess um that was that that was going on in in those lineups and i i was thinking to myself I was like you know what part of me really wish that the james harden trade happened to philly i i mean i know, we know the reasons why not but it ma- I, particularly because I know, I know Ben Simmons, John Wall is not the best thing, but I'm imagining Ben Simmons next to a big like Christian Wood. And the, the freedom that that would allow him, I think, I think would be huge. Obviously, that's not, that's not happening. But one thing that I think that I want to see more of, and I, it's basically just me wanting to see less of Dwight Howard. But one thing that I wanted to see more of, and they did it for like a little bit, is they had a Simmons and shooters lineup out there and it happened i believe in the uh was it first quarter second i think it was maybe the second quarter uh yeah yeah here we go it was interesting simmons curry tobias harris cork Maz, and milton and i was like ooh, interesting could, could they find someone maybe one other person that would be better for that lineup because if you do that where simmons is essentially the de facto center now now we're talking, right? Now he can do some of that BAM stuff where he's doing some dribble handoffs because they basically um, approached Simmons the way that people are starting to approach or I guess have been approaching Giannis where it's just we're doing the, the sag off of Giannis into the paint. And what they should be doing is more dribble handoff stuff as a screener because guess who has wide open shots? And we're, this is going to lead into um, – in a moment, I think we're going to talk about just way avenues that these teams can use to bring in players and things of that nature. But that type of a thing, like I would much rather see a bench unit of Simmons and shooters than to see any part of Dwight Howard out there. That That's just me. And, and the one thing, comment I want to make with your lineup there is it would be really nice if um, Mike Scott was still an yeah. NBA player, no. which like I don't I haven't seen him play enough to know that he can't be like his just him being like sizable, being a six, seven guy who is a willing shooter and not a that wasn't a horrible defender last time i remember seeing him if I, I guess i'm guessing he's just not doesn't have it anymore but like having him out there as like him and harris to kind of like handle some switchy defensive stuff along with simmons help with the rebounding like that that, that seems like that'd be a more sustainable lineup if you could swap cork Maz in for for mike scott but I'm, I'm guessing i'm guessing scott's just washed is is all you can think well that that, that was what one would think um yeah, I, for me it was like Korkmaz, especially because when they were doing those lineups, it was curious. They didn't really attack Curry as much, but they Korkmaz was getting attacked uh, the most. He looked bad. Let's be. Let's be. He was. He looked on, on the defensive end. He was not in any sort of position. Obviously, he's a shooter, but like there are other shooters out there um, that you could that you could get. Uh, but I want to see that lineup over the Dwight Howard lineup. So that was the last thing there anything else about this game um or do we want to start talking about avenues that these teams have to get better as as the season progresses 
I think I'm ready for the avenues of progression. Okay, so let's go ahead and start with the Lakers. Um, uh, just because I have them listed on the dock first. Uh, so the Lakers, because of the Montrez Harrell uh, quandary, is what I'm calling it. Uh, basically, they're hard capped. They went in and they spent um, uh, the full mid-level exception, and that hard caps them at the tax apron, which they are about. away from. Now, they do have a full roster, um, but, you know, you could waive somebody and uh, and pick up another minimum guy if you want. So they basically can bring in one more vet minimum guy uh, and and still be underneath. Still have about one, eh, less than a million dollars of wiggle room before you get to that tax apron. Um, So that's the only avenue as far as free agency. the other avenue is through trade. Well, guess guess who the only person that really is tradable? Montrezl Harrell is really it. I mean, you're not you're not trading Schroeder, you're not trading um, KCP, and below. I mean, if if you look at just the the finances of everyone else in the roster, no one else makes enough money for a trade to to be worthwhile. So really, it's an avenue of trading Montrezl Harrell. Uh, or, and maybe, Taylor Horton Tucker as an asset. Uh, although I don't think Laker fans really want to do that, and nor would I. I mean, he's someone young who's on the upswing, so you want to try to avoid that as much as possible. Harrell being the finances that, you know, the money that you can throw, throw out there. They have their 2027 first-round pick that is available for trade, so they have one first-rounder that they can that they can move off of. And from 2023 and beyond, they have all their seconds. So that's really the avenue that they have. The issue is that they cannot bring in more money than, again, they're two point four million away from the from uh, the hard the hard cap. So any trade that happens, they can't bring in more money than that. And if they're trying to send out two people and bring in one person, like you really only you have very little wiggle room. It's possible, but that's about it. And so <clears throat> I came up with one trade. And really, because uh, the Matthew Stafford trade happened, um, I am going to make that one trade two trades. And one of them is going to be Wayne Ellington. Uh, because I'm, I'm trying to get the Pistons as much as, as much as we can. Wayne Ellington is on a streak. Uh, he's on fire from three. And it's great. Uh, so I'll say my Wayne Ellington one first. And this one's not really totally for real. Because I understand Wayne Ellington is really just a shooter, and he can be a body defensively, but he's not—he's not—he's not a plus defender. Wayne Ellington for Alfonso McKinney and a second, right? So you get a second round pick. The Pistons once traded, um, uh, you know, got a second round pick and C. McKayleek back in a Reggie Bullock trade. This was a similar uh, a- approach, um, uh, but in this case, it makes sense on on two. Levels. Alfonso McKinney, what's the purpose of him on this team? The only purpose was for them to be able to create enough space and, and matching rights to, to get Marcus All on the squad. Wayne Ellington, you know, give, give someone a shooter. You can throw in and be a flamethrower. And for the Pistons, you get a second round pick. Cool. Probably not that great because it's the Lakers. They're usually, they'll probably be good going forward having Anthony Davis. But Alfonso McKinney has a couple more years on this deal. Yeah, sure, they're not guaranteed, but Troy Weaver will probably want to do some will probably want to stretch his contract. So 
there you go. You, you, you can stretch it for longer because, you know, it's, it's Troy Weaver. So that was my Wade Ellington trade, which... You, just, you won't be stretching it for longer, though, because it's only one year of guaranteed money. It's only one year of guaranteed money, and it's also very... It's it's like $1.7 million. It's, it's very tiny, so... Uh, you know. I have I have one bugaboo to your trade. No. Oh. Um in two thousand fifteen or fourteen fifteen, Wayne Ellington was a Los Angeles Laker. And his home road splits are dramatic. <laughs> he shot thirty one percent in the staples and forty three percent on the road. So I just thought that was worth something looking up because I remembered he played uh for the Lakers a while ago. He did, but I no one is on the Lakers now that has any concept of that. <laughs> like, we got to play with LeBron James. You're going to have LeBron James and Anthony have wide open threes. And yeah, I just, want, I just wanted to – I, I got to find the way to prove, to show it's a bad idea. Fair fair enough. Um, the reason why it's a bad idea is because what's the purpose of it? Um, really, for the Lakers. Uh, other than just to get one more person – have one more person in a potential rotation. I guess. Whatever. Um, okay. Yeah, so better he, than Quinn Cook. Better than Quinn Cook. Could have, could have attached Quinn Cook here, but I didn't want to. Um, wanted, wanted to stretch Alfonso McKinney for no reason. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, Norman Powell. We're, we're turning this, do, this into a semi-Raptors pod here uh, down the stretch. What if things go kind of poorly there? Norman Powell doesn't, you know, maybe maybe you want to do a little bit of reset. Maybe you just start selling pieces if you're Masai Ujiri. Norman Powell makes a little bit of sense here because it gives you, is he better than Wes Matthews right now? And if the answer is yes to that, then, then he's helped. Then he helps. Um, if he's a wing and, and is better than Wes Matthews, then he helps, which I think Norman Powell would qualify. If you have him out there, well, now you've got those wing bodies. And Norman Powell for Montrez Harrell, Alfonso McKinney again. And maybe we could have run Taylor and Horton Tucker, but again, I want to keep Taylor and Horton Tucker. Um, if I'm the Lakers and maybe I don't care about things down the road and maybe, you know, I got, a, I got a few seconds. You, you throw those out there, see if Toronto takes it, but you know, you can always throw out maybe a lottery protected first in 2027, right? That way the Raptors could say, Whoa, look, we got a 2020 first, sorry, 2027. We got a first round pick for Norman Powell. That's nice. When in reality, it probably would just turn into a second round pick that year. If, wasn't if, able if, to pull the, you know, if things go poorly, but wasn't able to pull the shooting splits for his shots in Staples Center, but in his career against the Lakers, he's shooting twenty three percent from three. Norman Powell is well, well th- in that, eight that, games, that small sample size, small sample size, and the Lakers are a good defensive team. So now, now past couple past couple of seasons, you know, been been, been pretty darn good. So. Uh, Listen, I I'm, I'm just again. I I support these trades. I just want. I just have to be the. Uh, I have to find something to, to to tell the public that hey, you know, there's there's a downside. But again, the the, the tough part about any trade with Montrez Harrell and just for the Lakers is, it can't really be much more than ten million dollars of a player coming back just because of Montrez Harrell's finances. And if you do that, then you probably have to bring in another center and Javale McGee. If he gets, he can't come back if he just gets waived. But if he gets traded to another team and then waived, then he can come back. NBA, CBA, there you go. 
Norm Powell is shooting fifty five percent against the Bucks though in his career. <laughs> he's a buck. He's a he's a hunter. Well, so th- th- there's my one trade for the Lakers, and you know maybe there's others. It was just tough to find a wing that could be you know that could be semi impactful. Who, if you are trading away Montrezl Harrell and the name recognition of that Montrezl Harrell, who has a player option for a second year, probably would opt out. So, uh, if you're Saya Jiri, you're not worried about that long term money. So you actually get off of some money next, you know, this next year. Uh, if you if you need to, I don't know, go out and get Andre Drummond or something. I don't know what you're doing, but it, it clears. This, I don't know. Maybe he would Andre Drummond probably help the Raptors. Um, but the yeah, you get a future pick for it, and if you're if you're doing a, um, uh, if you're selling at the deadline, I think this would make some sense for both teams. There's my Lakers trade. Yeah, they're both fine. Um, most the, the Norm Powell one much better. Um, yeah, Montrezl is not good, but like we're haters. Like I don't think Montrezl are getting traded. He probably isn't, but if he appropriate isn't, haters, by the way. Yeah. If he isn't getting traded, then again, we've told you the other avenues they have to get better. Yet Kuzma cannot be traded really because of the weird situation with the cap and him signing an extension and uh, the money going in, the money going out not being the same, and the Lakers against the hard cap, you really can't make it work. Um, Correct. So they can bring in one, one vet minimum guy, or they can, or it's going to have to be a trade like Wayne Ellington for Alfonso McKinney where you're just bringing in a better minimum type guy, right? Low contract level guy. And there aren't that many out there that are on like they're on those types of deals. So that's the tough part for the Lakers for getting better. But guess what? You might not need to because Anthony Davis, LeBron James, pretty, pretty good. You'll probably, probably, you'll probably be fine. If they want to dabble in the free agency waters, they could, there's two washed guys that they could take. They could take Tabo Cephalosha or Wilson Chandler. Okay. That's a little bit too washed for my liking. Um, but again, you could bring in one minimum guy. The problem is that the there are teams out there like the Nets, if we got ring chasers out there who have disabled player exceptions and they're not hard capped and so they can spend the money to bring in those types of players. The Sixers, let's talk about them here, then we'll we'll, we'll be we'll wrap it up here. Avenues to bring in players. Basically basically they can do whatever they want to do. Uh, they have all of their future firsts minus the 2025 first round pick that went uh, to OKC in getting Danny Green and uh, moving off of Al Horford. So, but they can basically do whatever they want. They've got uh, a few seconds coming in, a few seconds going out. So, whatever they want to do, they can do. They're not hard capped, I don't believe. I have to look, but I don't, I don't think they're hard capped. Um, they're, they're a tax team, but that's they can as much as long as ownership's willing to spend money they'll be fine um here's my one trade for them and i actually there are actually three trades <laughs> so um the first one is just before we started recording um uh sham Sharania of the athletic tweeted out hey the the uh philadelphia 76ers are one of a few teams in the northeast looking to get jj reddick right Maybe reunite J.J. Redick with this squad. And, I mean, so what? It's going to be a little bit awkward with Elton Brand still in the front office. But, you know, Darryl Borey's there. We can make it happen. And uh, so we came up with, right, well, if that were to happen, if J.J. Redick were to go there, what would a trade like that have to look like? And, uh, Ethan, you kind of came up with this one. I'll let, you, I'll let you go ahead and say it. 
Yeah, no. So the it's it's just it's all about money money matching because that's what's important. And so Mike Scott is a little washed, so we'll send him away. Vincent Poirier is not playing and is not gonna not an NBA basketball player. We'll send him away. Terrence Ferguson, you know, potentially a fun player for the Pelicans to give some run to if they just need to, you know, spark light the fire under some of their younger players. Um, and then a twenty. 21 first round pick because you know JJ Redick is a valuable he is such a valuable shooter when he's playing with other good players so that's a it just you know matching salary more or less for the whole deal and if assuming they're not which we don't think they are hard cap they'll still have they'll have those roster spots to now go sign some some veteran buyout guys or someone who hasn't been picked up you know, if, if theoretically they wanted to include um, Tony Bradley instead of Ferguson and they wanted to sign like a Dwayne Deadman off the free agent heap, like that could be a, a move where they could send more centers out. Because I think most of these players, other than Isaiah, like Terrence Ferguson might be the one who would have a chance of sticking in the uh, New Orleans for at least the rest of the season. If we are trying to have the first round pick be the value, but here, here's the thing with, with J.J. Redick and with this Pelicans team in particular, they have a million first-round picks, right? So maybe they would rather ask for J.J. Redick for a young player who has a promise. Maxie? <laughs> maybe it's Maxie. Although I, we have Kyra Lewis there. I don't, I don't want Maxie and Kyra Lewis, you know, uh, going back and forth. Plus, they, if they could have had Maxie if they wanted to because they picked before Maxie was, was selected. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a Matisse Thibel. I mean... SVG would love him. I would just say that, but there's he doesn't really help you with the shooting and spacing that you need with Zion. So maybe he doesn't make as much sense. I don't know. It, it's it's just something to think about. I don't know if they would want a draft pick, but I think I was the one who suggested the 2021 draft pick. So I, I can't be. I have only myself to be upset about. Um, all right. Here's my one uh, Wayne Ellington trade uh, before we get to the real one. Wayne Ellington for Isaiah Joe. Wayne Ellington honestly makes more sense for this team than uh, the Lakers, for sure. I just think, again, if we can get Wayne Ellington playing Corkmaz minutes, and, and you know, maybe you want to get rid of Corkmaz for Wayne Ellington, um, the Pistons would probably ask for like a second-round pick or something, which is what Isaiah Joe was, so that's why I just threw his name out there. Um, Shout-out to a draft pick that we we talked about pre, uh, pre-draft. Um, so... He would make sense in those some of those dribble handoff situations where Ben Simmons is the center running the DHOs. I think that it would be it would be a fun thing to have. Uh, so if he's, if he's shooting on fire, why not why not send him to a team that may, that that matters? So there's our Wayne Ellington trade. Wayne Ellington from Philadelphia. So there you go. Uh, a reason for it to happen, Ethan. What happened to you pushing back on all my trades? Well, I, I there's there's I, there's no statistical analysis hey. that says Wayne Ellington wouldn't be great for the Sixers. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I, I watched him play in the Heat series against the Sixers a couple years ago. I'm sure it went well. All right, all right. Um, oh, Wayne Ellington on fire against the Sixers in the in the back to back meetings that that we played them. So I mean, I know Doc Rivers, classic guy, pound the table for the for the people who do well against you. So Wayne Ellington, this is the, this is the place. To make it happen. All right. Um, the one real trade that we have, and this is, again, me trying to free Ben Simmons, not to actually get him out of there, but to have the lineup make some sense. I don't want to, I mean, again, Dwight Howard can become the third center. 
Let's have Aaron Baines. Aaron Baines, bring him in. He's been stinky over in Toronto, but his spacing would be helpful for a team like this. Stand him in the corner. Aaron Baines for Mike Scott and the New York Knicks second round pick. So again, I told you Raptors, it could be a Raptors pod kind of to close it up a little bit here if they decide to, to sell. This gets you off of whatever partially non partially guaranteed contract Aaron Baines has next year. And for, you know, you see it off of it with Mike Scott's expiring deal. And, you know, maybe we can throw in a Tony Bradley uh, if, 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 you'd, if you'd want, right? Um, or Poirier or someone like that if you wanted to, like, get rid of a center. Uh, but that Knicks second-round pick, maybe it's enough. But if, the, if it requires more, the Sixers have more they could offer. For the record, if, you, if the Raptors want zero players back from the, uh, the Sixers in this trade... Aaron Baines fits into the Al Horford trade exception. So literally, if they're like, we don't want to pay out any more money, we just want, give us a pick. Um, they can, you know, it's just on the Sixers to cut players at that point because there's an $8 million trade exception created by Al Horford that will expire if you don't use it. So Yeah, and saying. you are sending a second round pick, so you're actually trading for somebody. You don't even need to attach some rando person's rights, the rights to Ricky Sanchez, as it were. Um so, anyways. I just want to make that point uh, because th- that is another alternative for the Sixers to get a talent in is that trade exception doesn't have to be for Baines, but it could be anyone making less than $8.1 million. Yeah, and you just have to waive Vincent Poirier at that point. Yeah, w- Vincent Poirier. Um, you could waive... I mean, you could wave Dwight Howard, quite frankly. Like you could wave Tony Bradley. All these guys are on these expiring deals. You can get rid of if, for whatever reason, they don't fit your roster anymore. Because for, for an eight million dollar player, you found something. Yeah. So there it Norman is. Norman Powell, for the record, does not fit into the trade exception. Oh <laughs> no, not, not not quite. Um. Here's a question. I mean, could could you though? Like, I mean, we, we, we didn't want or I don't I don't want Norman Powell on the Sixers anyways. It's it's okay. <laughs> I was just, I was just mentioning because we talked about him recently. We did, we did. All right, Ethan. There it was. I'm looking for eight million dollar players now everywhere. Alec Burks, six million dollars could fit in the trade exception. Come back. I want to say, wasn't he there? <laughs> he was there. <laughs> okay. Let's see if there's any other stinky teams. We got, we got, we got to keep talking, Richard. I got to find another six, six, <sighs> eight, eight million dollar player. You should have been doing it when I was. Talking about the Wayne Ellington idea, I did, Joe trade. I, I didn't know they had a trade exception at that point. Well, th- I mean, this is my fault. We're speaking about not prepared for the pot, Ethan. You go through all this Correct. preparation. I, oh, I, Nam Nam de Bielita, he fits. 